0: Everyone, I oops, recording. Yep, there you go. What is up, everyone? I hope you're doing fantastically well today. It is Tuesday, March second, and I'm here with shawn Humes for episode two hundred and fifty-nine of the MMA Ratings Podcast. shawn why don't you let everybody know how you doing?
1: Uh, you know me, busy, same as usual. Always got something going. Nothing exciting though.
0: Nothing exciting at all. So, Texas is open as of today. Y'all having house parties and stuff like that yet? What's the first big thing you're gonna go to?
1: I don't really. It's weird because people people ask me if Texas is open, but it's like I don't I don't know that there's been a change in Texas. Like people have been having parties and hanging out of the park and and going out for large events. Pretty much. I mean, we have already had a basketball season and a football season, and some states didn't even have that yet. They're just starting theirs now. So I can't say I noticed a big change. Still people in restaurants. Still people going around. Maybe not as many people, but still a lot of people out. So, not to change anything for me.
0: So your microphone is rubbing up against what I guess your fabric of clothing. Sorry. So can we fix that? Yep. So um yeah, we have quite a bit to talk about today. We're going to preview USC two fifty nine, big big card this weekend. Talk about Hamza Jameel's retirement, of retirement, however that looks. And we're also talking about Canelo Alvarez as he smashes yet another man. Who steps into the ring with him? But before we do, as always, I want to t- say thank you for taking the time to listen to the show and check us out. You can always catch us at MMArings.net, which is our flagship. And you can check us out on YouTube at MMArings. Please be sure to like and subscribe, as well as subscribing to us on other podcast platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Radio Public and spotify so let's go ahead and get right into it, Shawan, because we have ufc 259 this weekend with a triple main event i don't know if we can really call it a triple main event there's three big title fights at the top of the card this weekend with the biggest one being a champion versus champion situation as israel adesanya challenges jan blachowicz for his light heavyweight title now before we talk about the before we go into the ramifications of this fight Stylistically, Chuan, how do you see this battle
1: going down? Um, I mean, it's going to basically be a larger, bigger, large, larger guy trying to corner and uh, um, impose his will on a smaller, lighter, probably for all intents and purposes, as far as striking goes, more skilled and more athletic fighter. I mean, that that's basically the only the only tone this can take. I don't I don't expect the Adesanya to come in and physically dominate. Um. Jan, uh, he, he doesn't really physically dominate anybody. And I don't mean like landing strikes and rocking people. I mean actually putting his hands on a person and dictating where the fight's going to be, whether it's holding them up against the cage, throwing them, all over, throwing them all over the cage after defending takedowns or just taking them down himself. A lot of his, the, the pattern of his fights has been fairly similar. Guys try to get physical with him. Guys try to cut the cage off on him. Guys try to get takedowns and walk him down. And he essentially picks them off gets him frustrated, catches them, and then overwhelms them. And, and that's probably going to be the pattern this fight faces. Uh, Jan's not super athletic. He's, uh, he hits hard for his size, but he's not a dynamic striker. And um, he's more of an all-around MMA fighter than just a pure striker. So I would think it's going to be another David versus Goliath battle where his plan will be similar to the plans of other guys. I want to physically impose my will on Adesanya, and I want to see if I can overwhelm him with my physicality, my size, and my power.
0: So do you think that will work? Because you see a lot of commentary right now talking about Adesanya's ability to evade and avoid damage while dishing out his own. Do you think that strategy, if that's what Jan comes into the cage with, will be enough to see him defeat a very well-hyped middleweight champion?
1: Well, the biggest thing is we can say he's good at evading offense, and I've I've seen that before, but the fact of the matter is how many guys have really been able to press him? Robert Whitaker tried to. He missed a lot and walked into the shot. Yoel Romero was throwing low volume. Anderson Silva landed some, but he was also throwing low volume. Uh, who else did he fight? He fought Paulo Costa, who was also throwing low volume for one reason or another. He hasn't really faced a guy who's trying to actually walk him down and use volume and physicality. The only person he faced who actually tried to do that was Kelvin Gastelum. Like, all the like, lots of guys tried to put their size on him and tried to get to certain spots, but they weren't really successful in pushing a pace with him, throwing a lot of volume, forcing him to actually actively defend. A lot of guys were just trying to get him in the corner, trying to corner him, trying to cut off the cage, and failing miserably, getting picked off as they attempted to do so. Kelvin I would Gas- disagree
0: with you on that, though, because um, you mentioned... I, I would disagree with you on that. You mentioned... Uh, what's his name? Kelvin, Kelvin Gastelum as someone who fought with that style, which is correct. What about the way, I feel like that's how Derek Brunson tried to fight him and that didn't work as well. And also Marvin Vittori, Marvin, Marvin Vittori took him down a couple of times. Brad Tavares did that as well too. They were trying to pressure him and get him to the to the mat and it didn't work out for any of them. The only one who actually got him down was Marvin Vittori. He left out of there with a split decision loss. So I think those three fights were the individuals that tried to pressure him and each one of them kind of found a way to lose.
1: I think, well, they all try to do it, but the person, like, there's people who had strategic success, getting some takedown, kind of stymieing him a little bit strategically, and there's guys who actually had success it, it, as far as doing damage and pushing him to his limit. Even Yo Romero gave him trouble because he was, lo- he was low volume and Israel couldn't really open up because he's afraid of counters. Anderson Silva had success because Anderson was able to land some shots in between. Israel's, and Israel wasn't able to land as clean as he wanted to. The fight didn't, didn't get past a certain pace because Israel couldn't quite key in on Anderson the way he wanted to, and Anderson's chin was holding up. The reason I point to Kelvin Gasolum is because Kelvin Gasolum actually, even though he took the worst beating, he was also the guy who had the most success against Israel Adesanya as far as putting shots together, landing strikes, getting him into certain positions and making him work. And Kelvin Gasolum was probably the worst striker on it. Adesanya's list of fighters he's a face. The difference between him and everybody else is he was able to take the punishment, and he was willing to take the punishment. Robert Whitaker tried to do it, got ko Paulo Costa tried to stay at distance, got KO'd. Yo Romero wasn't willing to open up, so he lost the decision. Most of those guys, once Adesanya put those put the power on them or started landing shots clean, they either they either decelerated in their aggression or they got knocked out. I don't know how good Jan's chin is, but when you move from weight class, usually your power isn't quite as much unless you, you're just a killer puncher, which I don't think Adesanya is, and I don't think he's got the physicality or size just to bully Jan either. So my, the only question I have in Jan trying to attack and put volume on him is, is can Yan handle what's coming back? If his chin can hold it up, and, do, and mentally his, his head can stay in the game when he, gets, when he gets clipped, he can put his size to use. He can put his grappling to use. He can really assert himself. But all the other guys you mentioned, they had moments of success, but they weren't ever able to build on it. Tavares just got beat within an inch of his life. After like a couple of like a round and a half maybe of being frustratingly difficult, he just got beat up. He wasn't able to land anything because every time he took a shot, he took a backward step. Gasolom stood on Asasanya, put his head in his chest, threw as much volume as possible, got his hands on him at every possible turn and tried to wear him down. Now the price for attempting that was a huge meeting that might have changed his career forever, but that's the price you take when you're facing someone like that. Jan isn't going to stand outside and out-box him and out-jab him and out-slick him. He's not the kind of fighter. He's not quicker on the draw. His best bet is to get his hands on him, kick the legs, kick the body, and essentially try to get into the middle range with Adesanya where his his defense isn't quite as strong. You know, the mid-range, the boxing range, where if he misses, he can get into a clinch. He can kind of muscle him, lean on him, make him carry the weight, take the power. So I'm not saying John isn't skilled, but... He's had a problem with athleticism before. All the fights he's had the most trouble with has been with the athletic guys. Adesanya's going to be more the most athletic guy he's faced yet. So his best his best bet is to come in, be efficient, be deliberate, take his gas tank, take his legs, lean on him, make him face the 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 weight and the power of your body. Adesanya's game plan is the same as always: pick your spots, you get him hurt, overwhelm him. Look for look for shots that, are, that don't expose you to return fire and allow you to break your opponent down and then lower the boom on them. His game plan really doesn't change. It's a matter of guy tries to take him down. guy tries to stand with him, but eventually he, he just aggressively counter punches people. He frustrates with a movement. He frustrates them with pressure. Sometimes he pressures them, makes them strike and then he counters it. Sometimes he lets them pressure and lets them lead. And then he counters it. But either way, he's actively countering guys, breaking them down and then turning their lights out. If they're willing to push the pace, if they're not, He'll just settle in and just beat him up for four, three, three to five rounds, whichever it takes. So
0: final thought on this piece, how do you see the fight ending and when?
1: Uh, I really keep having a feeling that Jan might be able to pull this off. I, I'm not, I've never been sold. I've never really been sold on Adesanya's chin. I just never have. I think, I think he, he's, he when he can roll with shots, when he can see shots coming, he's fine. I think if you hit him, you can hurt him. I feel Anderson Silva hurt him. I feel that Kelvin Gaslam hurt him. I felt in moments that Robert Whittaker got, got a few shots off. He wasn't able to get the shots that he wanted, but I, I feel like he, he's very vulnerable in that aspect. Um, and I, I really do feel that if Jan can get his hands on him, it's such a size difference because he, has, he hasn't fought a guy as big or as strong as Jan. This is an immediate jump up. There's no time for him to make up the weight or to really adjust to that kind of, that kind of uh, weight and that pace of light heavyweight. So I, I want to say that Yan can Yan can get to the spots he needs to get to, and basically control him, maybe submit him, maybe ground and pound him. But once again, Yan has had tremendous, tremendous, tremendous problem with athletic guys. He just he's he's always had a hard time with guys who can move, guys who got quick feet, quick hands. It's caused him problems from day one. And as good as he's been, at technically, and as much growth as he's shown, and intelligence he's shown, in his and how he approaches fights and how he attacks his opponents. He still has a problem early on with guys and getting adjusted to speed. Even against Reyes, he had some moments of awkwardness because Reyes' hand speed, foot speed, and power w- was a little bit flummoxing flemasc- flemasc- to him. Adesanya is not going to make the mistakes that, that Reyes made. Um, I'm going to say it goes to a decision. Uh, maybe a late round stoppage, but it, it goes to a decision in Adesanya's favor. If I'm just looking at things on paper and, and what I can actually see from the fight, um, I just have this feeling that if that if and when Jan can get him in certain spots, i.e. the boxing range, or get him into positions where he can get takedowns, I feel like, I feel like there's not as big a margin of error for Adesanya that he had against Derek Brunson, who's not really a grappler. He's a wrestler, but he's not really a great grappler. And I, I really think the size the size can, make a, can be a factor. My, my only reason I can't pick Jan straight out is he just has so hard a time getting into the position he wants to get into to do the work he's best at doing. And if he can't get into those positions for five rounds, then he's just going to get chopped up and eventually chopped down.
0: So let me ask you this, I'm gonna, I'm, and I'm going to go first, and you can, you can follow up after me. The question is, who do you think has more to gain from a victory here? And I believe the answer is clearly Jan, because he's coming in as the underdog, and he's fighting against a guy who everybody expects him to steamroll. Uh, everyone expects Adesanya to get the victory here. And I think that if Jan wins, I don't believe it'll vault him into superstardom per se, but it does help him get a little bit more cachet. Um, and I'm trying to think of someone who is a similar situation. I'm Not necessarily with the Ronda Rousey, Holly Holm upset because Holm didn't become a major star after that. But she did get a bump, and we saw a little bit of that when she fought Misha Tate, even though she lost in the way she's been positioned and performed since then. So I think that if Jan picks up a victory here, he has more to gain, and he has more to kind of look forward to if he does find a way to get the win. What are your thoughts about that?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, Jan's already a national hero. If he If he won it, then I guess it would really catapult him into a stratosphere where he would really be a name. I mean, he might even start thinking about calling out Jones and, and possibly moving up to heavyweight. I mean, a win over Adesanya, Adesanya is as hot as anybody can be right now without being a super, superstar in, in the sport. So a win over him. Helps his career on paper as far as the, the legitimacy of his career, as far as the quality of fighter. And then, if of course, if they have a rematch, he, if it's a good fight and he rematches Adesanya, that's another big That's another big payday. Um So that would be great for him in that instance. Uh, The real winner, the guy who would really benefit the most would be Adesanya. Because just because Jan beats Adesanya doesn't mean that Jan takes over the popularity of Adesanya. It's like when uh, Amanda Nunes beat beat, uh, Ronda Rousey. She beat her, but she's still not as big a star as Ronda Rousey. She's never going to be as big a star. She beat Cyborg, but to be fair, I don't know that she's still a bigger star cyborg with two titles i don't know that she's a bigger star than cyborg it doesn't work automatically that you beat a guy and you get his fame all it does is increase the platform you have for you to build your brand and bring in new fans so beating a popular person isn't enough you have to have done the work prior to and after to really build on that Dustin Poirier's used it as an example against Conor he's used it to expand his brand but he's already been building his brand Nate Diaz was a perfect guy he beat Conor McGregor and it expanded, took him from star to superstar to like a mainstream superstar. I don't think it does that for Jan, not in the U S for Adesanya it does. And it sets up um, more trash talk between him and Jones and puts more pressure on Jones to win his title fight or do whatever he's going to do at heavyweight because now Adesanya has beaten the, the man at light heavyweight and he's once, and we're one step closer to getting that fight of Adesanya versus Jones. So if it's talking about worldwide appealed, the biggest paydays, the biggest visibility, even though Adesanya is already a star, Adesanya benefits the most from this, more so than Jan. Jan, gets, like you said, he get a bump, he'll get some more awareness, but he's never going to break through and become that guy. Adesanya has a chance to become the face of mixed martial arts with, with this kind of win, given how hot he's been a middleweight and the win over Jan, who's a very experienced in decorated light heavyweight, he, he has a chance to become the face of the UFC, the face of the sport right now.
0: Yeah, I agree. He definitely is in a position to become the face of the sport because there isn't really anyone that is as compelling as him by a long shot. I mean, I can't, I can't even think of anyone that that they could put in that position.
1: Not as compelling, and then look, and you look at you look at the rankings of the guy he's beaten the last two years. Who, who else has fought that kind of schedule?
0: Davey Figueredo. but well, that's not they, even, yeah. that's not even like as it may. Not, I not want to say it's as deep as a, as 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 a resume, but and, and Figueroa is a compelling individual, but he just isn't given the same space to be yep. who he is yet.
1: He, he hasn't beat as many high profile. Guys. I mean, Robert Whitaker's not a big star, but he's had multiple fight of the years. Anderson Silva is one of the biggest stars. Adesanya, you got to fight him. Obviously, Robert Whitaker. Yo, Romero, even though he's not a huge star, is a cult figure in MMA. A lot of people like him. A lot of people support him. He, he had a lot of high-profile fights, and yet he's getting another high-profile fight. But I just mean in the instance of from the time he's gone to UFC he's never taken a step backward as far as the level of opponent and the, the quality of opponent since he's faced. Every time he's fought, it's gone up dramatically. There's been no step. There's been no lesser opponent because all he's done is won. So if you look at his record from the time he's got here to the top now, it's just gotten better and better and better and better and better and better. So now he's taking on another challenge. It's like there's very few fighters who can even look at his resume and the ascension of it and say – oh, I'm on Israel Adesanya's level. I'm not saying he's being the best guys in the world, but as far as the rankings and where these guys stay, are placed in the middleweight division or in MMA, it, it's going to be hard to find somebody who's had a tougher, who's had a tougher, who's had a tougher go and been, been more dominant in it. Poirier's lost in this time. Almost yeah, I mean, everybody's lost in this time except for Khabib. Everybody except for Khabib has lost in this time that Adesanya's been in the UFC. Adesanya has only faced better and better competition and been more and more impressive in dispatching them each and every time.
0: We really forget about that run he went on first to like to get to the title. Because dude was fighting, it seemed like, almost every two months or something like that. So he was definitely on a streak to get there. I want to move to the co-main event. And this is where I'm picking an upset, Schwann. I am picking Megan Anderson to beat Amanda Nunez. And not because there's something special about Anderson, per se. I think she has the skills to do it. Um, but I'm wondering what state Nunez is in coming into the cage. She is coming off an injury. She was gone for a little bit of time and, um, she is coming in, you know, as a new mom and she's been bouncing back and forth between weight classes. I am thinking that maybe Anderson might be able to sneak away and pull something out here, uh, uh, and maybe take away, the title from TJ Dillashaw for having the biggest upset in the UFC history. What are your thoughts about that? Uh,
1: I think it's very viable. You know, I've had people ask me about that fight a lot on Twitter in person, people connected to the fight. And I I've told everybody, I, I see avenues for Megan Anderson winning this fight. Um, not because I, once again, I don't think she's a dynamic athlete. Clearly she's not a particularly elite grappler. I mean, she's not even really an elite striker or an elite fighter, or elite wrestler at anything. She's decent to pretty good at everything, but what allows her some freedom is that she's very well-conditioned. She's very big. She's very big. She's big for the weight class. Like, she can't make 35. She, she might even be big enough to fight in PFL at 155. She's very long. She's very big. Physically, she's strong. She throws a lot of volume, and she seems to be fairly durable. I, I don't know that she's durable against somebody who hits, like, Nunez, But she seemed to be very durable. I've never really seen her rocked or stumbled or just hurt and and close to being finished. And Nunes, for all her, for as impressive as she's been the past couple years, you have to admit, when you saw her against Randami, and I know Megan Anderson's a better grappler than Randami, maybe not a better striker, but a better grappler, against a smaller woman, because Nunes is bigger than Randami, she had problems finishing. I mean, she almost got stuck in a triangle. Everybody could say that wasn't really that close. It was that close. It was close. She almost got that. She had a hard time controlling her on the ground. She had a hard time keeping her on the ground. That's why when they got into these other rounds, she was working so hard, not able to get a finish. That second round, she was gassed, and Rundamis just lighting her up left and right. And the same thing when she fought uh, Felicia Spencer. Now Felicia Spencer wasn't able to do any real harm. She landed some shots, but she didn't do any harm. But that fight, the the shots that Felicia Spencer was taking, people would have thought you couldn't make it out of a round with Nunez because Nunez kills everybody at bantamweight and at feather and at featherweight she wasn't killing her. I mean, she eventually knocked her out, but she did it she, she did it like what? I think it was late in the fourth round, late in the fifth round, maybe? Early in the fifth round or something? Either way, she did the same thing to Chris Cyborg, because people were saying Chris Cyborg doesn't hit as hard as she, she used to hit. Through three rounds, the damage that Nunes did to Spencer and the damage that Cyborg did to Spencer was, was comparable. So her power doesn't carry as much weight at 45, seemingly, as it did before. So she can't just walk through walk through uh, Anderson on the feet, that causes the problem. If she has to fight for positions, like fight her up against the cage and grind and fight her cage or fight to get her down in positions or fight to keep her down in positions, Amanda Nunes will get tired. People keep telling me her gas issue's been fixed. It hasn't been fixed. She's just dominated people. And when you dominate people, it's easy to control position. It's easy to save your energy because they're so scared. They won't fire. They can't take you down. They can't do anything. So you get to cruise through it. But every time she's been forced to fight, She has gotten tired. She has looked suspect against Kat Zingano, against um, Valentina Shevchenko. Even as late as Jermaine Durandamy, you saw her huffing and puffing. You saw her tired because she couldn't just physically dominate any and every position in the fight. If she can't get clean takedowns, and immediately do do harm. If she can't finish on the ground immediately, if the fight's even close to being 50-50 on the feet, she might really have a problem. The main thing you have to do against Nunes is, is avoid the finishing spots and force her to work. If you force her to work at a high pace and make her work for everything for the, from the word go, and you make her really, really work hard, then about two minutes, a minute into the second round, she's going to get tired. She's going to gas, and you are going to have moments and an opportunity to overwhelm her. It's happened throughout her history of her career. The only reason we haven't noticed it now is because nobody's been able to last long enough to push a pace on her. And the first time she got a pace pushed on her by a girl who can't grapple at all, she got tired. She was defensive on the feet. She was lunging for takedowns. When she missed them, she wouldn't get back up. And when she started getting hit, she was flinching away and backing up. So there's a very logical avenue for success for Megan Anderson. If she gets tired and Megan Anderson takes her down, I think she's going to have a hell of a time getting off her back. She's not great off her back. She's not a great submission person off her back. And when she's tired and she can't control pace with her explosiveness, and, and the variety of shots she throws, she's not great defensively. Her defense is your fear of her counter. Once you don't fear her counters, her defense on the feet isn't spectacular. So you have somebody who's not great off her back, isn't great in scrambles because she can't maintain them, and isn't great defensively if she can't seriously hurt you or knock you out and you fold immediately. So even though it would be tough for Megan to make it through, if she can avoid those spots and keep making her work, there's a very likely, very it's very likely Second round, Nunez gasses, and now the fight's up. It's 50-50 fight from that point on.
0: Interesting that you brought it up that way. So I am of the ilk, though, that in order for Anderson to win, she has to stop Nunez. If this fight goes five, I expect Nunez to win probably three to four rounds. What are your thoughts about that?
1: Uh, yeah, I would think so. I think she would almost, she pretty much, I mean, the beating she'd have to lay on her. For them to, I mean, pretty much if she's laying that much of a beating on her, they pretty much have to stop the fight because I don't. Nunez, when she's been pushed, really pushed, and, and Katzengano's the only one who's really done it, she usually can't hang on. And against that Valentina Shevchenko fight where she was, you know, de- I mean, that last round, she was like dead tired, just covering up. She wasn't doing anything. Shevchenko was just laying the lumber on her, and Shevchenko wasn't even a natural banner weight then. So I would agree she probably has to stop her, but if she gets tired, the mission will be there. Ground and pound will be there. Nunes is very devastating in spots, but if you notice, much like Anthony Smith and Anthony Johnson and other people who fight in spots, she's not devastating every minute of every round. That's a she just can't. She ex- like Max Holloway puts volume in, breaks you down, breaks you down, breaks you down. Dustin Poirier is constantly pressuring, landing big shots, breaks you down, breaks you down. Justin Gaethje landing big shots constantly, breaks you down, breaks you down, breaks you down. She fights in spots. And when she has these huge moments of offense, she's grading them, and then she rests, relying on the fact that her damage and her control and the threat of what she can do allows her to navigate those spots where somebody won't try anything because they don't want to eat that one big shot from her, that one big knee from her. People are so hesitant of her, her, her power and her physicality. If she gets tired, Anderson's very, very big. Anderson looks huge. I don't, I don't know that she can get her off. And I've told people associated with... Um, Nunez's camp, I'm like, if she can't get a takedown right off, don't fight for her. Don't waste that energy against somebody that big and that strong because you lose position and she ends up on top, that's a problem. That's a bunch of energy that Amanda's not expecting to use. If she can't control her on the ground, you need to reset and get back to the feet. You don't need to waste any excess energy. if You, you can't get the finish the way you want it because when you even against the Holly Holm fight, Holly Holm had problems keeping keeping Anderson off her. She had to wrestle her. That's, I knew that was going to happen. She had to wrestle her. And Megan Anderson knows that people are going to attack her grappling first and foremost. She has to know that. If she hasn't been doing overdrive the past two or three years, then she's nuts. So if Nunes cannot get clean, quick takedowns, and Nunes cannot overwhelm her on the feet, now we have a real fight. Nunes is going to have to work because Anderson wants to put pressure on you. She wants to get you off the fence. She wants to break you down to the body. She wants to land that that little cross she lands, that real savage cross she lands, and, and to overwhelm you. And I don't know that Nunes has the defensive tools and defensive skills to survive if she's tired, if her power is not working, and if, her, if the opponent she's facing isn't fearful of her. And after that fight against Spencer, she put a beating on Spencer. But I know a lot of people who saw that fight and said, well, maybe Nunes' power isn't what we thought it was. Because Felicia Spencer Felicia, Spen- Felicia Spencer, isn't a great fighter. She's not known for her world-class chin. It went from questioning, questioning Chris, Chris Cyborg's power Now people are questioning Amanda Nunes' power because she landed power shots from round one all the way to round four or five, and it took her that long, completely dominating a fight to finish. So either Spencer is out of this world tough or Nunes' power doesn't carry over at 45. And if it doesn't, then Megan Anderson has a very, very live chance of winning this fight. Same reason I said Julia Pena would give her trouble at Bantamweight because they fight in every position. They don't concede anything. And fighters like Nunes fighting spots, they need, they depend on those spots to dictate and control the pace of the fight. Once they can't control the pace of the fight, it's 50-50, and it really, and I I think it's a good pick by you. I think it's a pick that you can back up just watching the film. All all she has to do is be able to get through the first 30 seconds and not get knocked out and submitted. She gets through that and pushes the pace, second round is 50-50. On mute again.
0: Yep, I sure am. Uh let's talk about the third title. For oh, it, they, sorry, because... for I
1: I will say I will have to I'd have to favor Nunez just because of the caliber she is and some of the gaping holes that Anderson has in her game, but everybody knows what Nunez's game is. If you don't know Nunez's game by now, you're out of the loop. That's the main reason I focus on Anderson because the the story is gonna be can Anderson challenge her, can Anderson beat her? And to me, it's what happens if Nunez gets tired again. We haven't seen her tired in a long time. And anybody who saw that fight against the randomly and saw her tired, if you told me you didn't have any doubts about her lo- losing that fight, I think you're lying. Because when she got tired, it, lo- it was real dicey for a minute. So that's why I focus exclusively on Anderson, because that's going to be the story. And even if Anderson just pushes her, that's going to be the story. We've already seen Nunez. Nunez is kind of old news in that regard. So I wanted to focus on what the real story would be at and where the real analysis would be in sorry sure
0: there you go there you go um so let's talk about this last title fight because it's the one that intrigues me the most because i have no idea how this fight is going to go peter yan aljermaine sterling is a real puzzle to me because at times it's like will the real Algermain sterling please stand up who are you And I feel like we get a new facet of him every time he wins. But then we see the fights where he loses. And it's like a gaping hole where he loses. Like, dude, did you not know you needed to to feel that? And he's fighting against a champion who is very good in everything that he does. I don't think Peter Young really even has any holes. I know a lot of people are on Sterling for this fight. I... Root for everybody black, so I'm rooting for for um, Sterling to come out with a win here. But I think this is not going to go his way. What are your thoughts about this fight?
1: The biggest thing, the way Sterling has to win this fight is he has to be able to pressure yeah That's that's been the biggest thing with him. He's not to me. He's not. He's athletic. He's long. He fights with volume, but he's not super durable, and he's not super physical. When guys have asserted themselves physically. He's been controlled, and so he fought Cody Stamen and and in moments Cody Steiman was able to muscle him. He was not, not saying he dominated and beat him up and had his way with him, but in, in spots stamen was able to control him and control position against uh Miss, What's his Name Brian Carraway. Brian Carraway, He got taken down. He wasn't able to keep the scrambles he wanted. He wasn't do the back takes, all all the stuff that he's normally known for doing. He wasn't able to, and a lot of it was Brian Carraway's willingness to initiate contact and his physicality against Pedro Munoz. It was a good win, but that wasn't a dominating win. That was a, a fairly competitive, I think it was a split decision win, if I recall correctly. He's just never been a super physical fighter. He's never been a fighter who, in my opinion, has been very durable. His best fights have been when he's able to dictate pace, pressure a guy, back him up, and let his length and his wrestling and his grappling dom- dominate position, dominate the pace of the fight. In his best fight against Corey Sandhagen, that's what happened. Sanhagen... Didn't back him up. Sanhagen got backed up. He took him down and basically mauled him and finished him. If he can push Peter Jan back, I believe that he can, he can dominate him. He can use his wrestling to wear him down, get him down, and submit him. My problem is I don't know that he can do that. Jan's not a great wrestler, a great grappler. From what I've seen, he seems like he's competent. He seems like he's, he's pretty good. But Jan is a very big, very thick, very physically imposing fighter. Like, you know, he's, he's the way he defends Satan, he shrugs guys off. He throws guys off. And I don't know what, Peter, I don't know what Aljamain Sterling's going to do if he can't get that immediate takedown. Because as good as his striking has looked recently, it's still very reliant on the fact that he can overwhelm guys with his volume and his athleticism. And that might work for a period of time with Jan, but every moment he's on the feet with Jan, Jan's, Jan is 100% sure he can take his shot. I don't think he, me or you is completely sure that Aljamain Sterling can take whatever Jan has, has to offer on the feet. So it's just a matter of if he can push him back or not. I don't know exactly how he does because I don't think Jan will give up ground with, with um, Aljamain's striking. And I think especially in the early stages, I don't know that Aljamain's wrestling is good. I mean, it's good enough to get him down. I don't know with Jan's size and physicality that Jan isn't able to just explode out of spots, get right back up, or reverse positions. Because as you know, at a certain level, size and strength, even in the same division, can play a factor. And and I think that that's the biggest issue—the physicality and the size and the strength of Peter Jan. I mean, the skill sets are obvious. We all know how that goes. But if he physically imposes himself on Al Jermaine and he has him backing up and he has him kind of flinching or trying to avoid exchanges, I don't see how how Al Jermaine wins this fight. He's not good enough off his back foot. He's not a good enough striker. He's not a hard enough hitter, in my opinion. And if Al Jermaine can back him up and has him biting off things and covering up and and not engaging in exchanges then I believe Aljamain Sterling will assert himself, impose his will, and finish him. It's just a matter of who's going to impose their will on who. And Aljamain's faced a better opposition, so you'd probably say it was him. But on a consistent basis, he's never been a guy who from round one to round five has consistently imposed his will, backed guys up, and had his way with guys. I, I can't think of a fight where he's just against uh, a-, a guy comp- comparable to Peter Jan that he's just dominated. I can't think of one. Maybe you know one.
0: No, I can't. I'm right there with you. I can't think of any uh, fights where Aljamain has looked like the man who will, will walk out with the title on Saturday. I mean, I can be wrong. I've been wrong plenty of times before, but we'll see what that looks like uh, after you. He's university. got so much
1: star potential, though. Like you can sense it. Like if he gets the title, he could really, he could really break out. Like he could really be one of the, the guys for not just for the division, but for the UFC. Like he's got personality. He's funny. He's smart. He's got a interesting backstory. He's very relatable. Like, I like the guy. I like how he's improved as a fighter. I like his strategy. I like his team. And and if he wins it, I, it'd probably be better for the division than it would be for if Peter Young continues to win it. Because I think you could market Al He knows how to talk on the microphone. He just has a lot of things working for him. To me, it's just this is just a really, really, this is probably the toughest matchup you could have outside of maybe Henry Cejudo for him. A guy who's big enough and strong enough to shrug him off and who's a busy enough and hard enough striker that he can finish him in a moment's notice.
0: That's very true. so what else stands out on this card for you? Because this is a very deep card with a lot to look forward to. Is there anything else on this fight on this fight card that looks out or that stands out to you?
1: Um, in passing, I'd like to just some quick hits. I'm interested to see how um, Diago Santos comes back. You know, he's he challenged Jones for the title. He, in many people's eyes, was close to winning. But he's basically been out for what two, three years now. I mean, he hasn't really fought on any big th- cards. Is this his
0: first one back, or did he lose one when he came back? I think
1: I think he might he have lost did. one.
0: He did. He lost the glove to share.
1: Yeah. So it's like it's. I mean, and and a lot of times people were kind of thinking, it's like now he's had the loss. Now you kind of know where your body was at. You this will be the second fight. It's been a big gap between the fights. That was in November. This is now what March. So now he's had time to really acclimate his body. He's had multiple camps. He's been in a fight. He, kn- he knows what he has. And this is what's going to determine kind of where he at- he's at and if he moves back forward to being a contender or he falls all the way back. I could forgive him for the fight against Glover. He wasn't back 100% in my opinion. After coming off that kind of injury, no matter what you say, you'd be like, oh, I'm 100%. I know I'm good. I don't know if I believe that after the injury he suffered. But this fight with the extra time off, it's a condition and to prepare um I, I think this fight might be do or die for him as far as where he really stands in the ufc um i'm interested in the dominic Cruz fight just to see what dominic has left he didn't look great in that uh henry cejudo fight he looked really bad to be honest i mean i, I expected more from him i don't know why i expected more from him because his skill sets kind of plateaued but um if he loses this fight he's pretty much doesn't have any pull at this division i was really hoping that he'd fight a bigger name in hopes of giving a fans a the fight they would like and, and having an opponent who, if he gets beat by him, will give him a little bit of a safety net. If he loses to Casey Kenny, and Casey Kenney's a tough, gritty fighter, well-conditioned, well-prepared, um, has moved up and looked good against ascending levels of competition, but if he loses against this guy who's not really known, he's basically going to make this guy's name, and he's, he's going to take a huge step back to hit to his reputation. There's a lot of people who already think that he's passed it his prime and was never as good as he thought he was, or as he showed in the in the UFC, a loss to Casey Kenny pretty much uh, cements that and, and takes him out of the equation on any level. He wins the fight. He's in talks. Dillashaw rematch. Maybe Sanhagen. Maybe Frank Yeager. Whatever. He can keep moving. But he loses this fight, um, it, it really could be over for him. Yeah, I'm
0: right there with you. I think uh, both of those guys have a lot to really fight for this weekend. Um and just Benavidez, too. I think you just mentioned him, too, as well. So these individuals are really kind of fighting for in, uh, relevance. They have very tough fights. Um, Casey Kinney, Alexander Rockets, and Askar Askarov are not easy outs in any way, shape, or form. So I think it should be interesting for each and every one of them to I feel see what bad they look like. I, feel I feel bad for Benavidez.
1: I feel bad for Benavidez, Benavidez too. He, he's been the number two guy for so long. He's done nothing but class. He's put on fight, fight of the years. In WEC and the UFC, he's fought everybody. Hung out, dedicated, was loyal, got better every single year, and all it earned him was two losses for the title. It, it just—I feel bad for that dude. Yeah, he's, he's had
0: more than that. He—he had two to DJ. Yeah, he had two to DJ.
1: Yep, he had two, yeah. to
0: DJ uh, two to Dominic Cruz.
1: Yeah, and then, but I mean, like just after he beat DJ, you, everybody kept saying, "As soon as DJ's gone, he's the he guy." Never beat DJ. Yeah, and so when DJ transferred out to one, everybody's like, Joseph Benavidez, he must be the guy. He's the guy. And then he did. He wasn't the guy then either. It was it was terrible. It, it was like DJ was Michael Jordan, and he was Karl Malone, Patrick Ewing, Charles Barkley, everybody else. Like, he was a fighter who should have been a world champion, was never good enough to beat the guy. And by the time he got his second shot, he wasn't the fighter he used to be. Joseph Benavidez for three years ago would have won this title fight that he lost. But we can't go back in time and it's 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 crazy how DJ completely derailed his career.
0: Very true, very true there. So let's move on and let's talk about some news from this week, because I want to talk about Hasmat Chemeyov and his whole situation. So I'm sure you saw, but yesterday he posted on Instagram. And announced that he was retiring because he felt like basically he was scared of what his body was going through. He mentioned coughing up blood and other issues dealing with COVID. And I'm going to kind of walk through the whole situation because he's had a very hard time getting over uh, COVID-19. And then Dana White is asked, I think John, John Morgan of MMA Junkie got a statement from Dana White about hazmat's retirement he basically said that it's not true that uh hazmat is scared and that he shouldn't have been training but they're trying to get him to help Whatever, he'll be back and they're still trying to have him fight in june then shit went really left when uh kadirov who is a legit dictator who is who has committed all types of human rights atrocities He even had a comment about Hazmat uh, retiring and made it clear that that is not happening and that he expects Shamayoff to continue fighting. This, as I tweeted earlier today, there's a saying of where where there's smoke, there's fire. And this joint is smoking like a hookah lounge because to see Hazmat post that post that he did, you know, and this guy is someone who, has been the probably one of the one of the most vocal shit talkers since he stepped into the UFC calling saying whatever he wanted to say about it, about anyone and everyone. To see him post that in in what had to be a very frightening moment was jarring, but to then to see the two responses after that was really it was really disheartening to me and I was texting someone about it last night and this, it, it just, it just didn't seem, I don't want to say it didn't seem real, but when Chameoff's post first went out, I kind of just rolled my eyes because for a couple of reasons, A, because, you know, I don't think the MMA community has taken COVID-19 seriously at all. There's one part of that 2 We've seen Chameoff in multiple videos and multiple appearances, not wearing mask even after his COVID-19 diagnosis. So there's that too as well. And Dana White's and Kadirov's comments are clearly, they don't give a fuck about this dude. They are focused on money first. And Dana's space where Kadirov is still very welcomed in MMA and welcomed within the UFC is so problematic for a number of reasons. So problematic. but there's nothing that they can do about it at this point. Absolutely nothing. Because if they want to keep dealing with fighters from that area, they're going to be dealing with Kadirov as well, too. So what did you make of this, How? What taste did this leave in your mouth after you saw everything go down yesterday?
1: Well, a lot of people aren't going to feel bad for Tremayev because of the guy he's connected to, which is considered more of a dictator or whatever. So people are going to be like, that's what you get. Like, I have no sympathy for you. You signed off or, you know, you're going to deal with the consequences of it. And to a certain degree, I almost fall in that camp because... Uh, A lot of people have said you don't want to deal with it. A lot of people outside of that area have said you don't want to deal with that person. You don't want to deal with him. He's not a good guy. He's a terrible person. And people on his payroll, fighters on his payroll have always told you that's not the case or they just avoided the topic altogether. But the fact of the matter is Chimayoff took the money. he, He took the benefits of being associated with that guy if I'm correct. So he can't complain now that that guy is expecting him to do his job. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying he, he should have to do it because if he's really ill and he's experiencing these symptoms, then he shouldn't be fighting, especially if he's mentally is checking out to the point where he doesn't want to fight or thinks he doesn't want to fight, he shouldn't be fighting. But the fact of the matter is when you sign on under someone, period, you're, you're subject to their, to their law, their, their, their word is law. He took the money. So now he has to kind of deal with the consequences of that, which means he might have to continue fighting. I mean, the guy, for what I'm understanding, funds his lifestyle, funded his training, he reaped the benefits of being associated with that guy if I'm not correct, if I'm not incorrect. That doesn't just disappear because you decide you don't want to do it anymore. It's like being a rapper who's funded by a drug dealer and you decide, well, my heart's not into rap music anymore. I know it's slightly different, but it's the same general gist. I paid my money. You're not done until I get my money back. And then even then, I'm going to decide what my money back equates. So unfortunately, he, he set the table for this. By dealing with this guy to get into the sport and get these opportunities, he got fast-tracked, he got extra retention, he got the full support of the UFC, Dana White, blah, 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 whatever. And he got to be a name. He got to be a star without having really beaten anybody. But this is the downside of it. That guy wants to be the one making the calls and making the decision. You don't just get to call in and say, I'm not doing this anymore. You don't have that option. And um, as cruel as that might sound, that seems to be what the actual issue is. If, if, once again, and I may be misunderstanding, but that's what it actually seems the issue is. That guy's the boss. He doesn't want the guy to stop unless he's, unless he gives the say so. And he's not giving it. He's saying you have to continue fighting. When I heard Dana say that he, the guy was still the mixer, he was still going to keep things open. I figured that uh, Chameev's sponsor, supporter, financer, whatever, hadn't given him the word. And I was wondering when I saw the post, if he had run this by the people who had been funding him and basically put him in this position. When you get in that kind of position, you don't get to make your own terms. You don't get to walk away from anything. Not not from those groups of people, not people in those kind of positions. So unfortunately, even though I feel bad for him because COVID is a real thing and he seems to be catching the very bad end of it, when you sign on with certain people or you sign on for certain things, you don't just get to walk away. And from what I understand, that's not the kind of guy you get to walk away from.
0: Something bad is going to have to happen for them to separate themselves from Kadirov. And I don't have the faith in Dana White or the MMA community to do so and that's really unfortunate because we, we're seeing this young guy basically be forced into continuing to fight when he may not want to and this whole situation is just really problematic to watch and it's unfortunate to really see it unfold um i wish the best for him i hope he's okay but this is this this is the matter that we're in I right mean, now. This-
1: it just, I mean, you're you, you looking at uh, outside of him as a human being. It's like there's a reason. I mean, you know how it works. There's there's a reason why people say not to do business with certain people, not to get in bed with certain people. The opportunities are going to come, but those opportunities don't come without, uh, what do you call it, expectations or whatever. Mm-hmm. And and, and I, like I said, I don't know the ins and outs of it, but I assume this guy financed his whole career. And this if this guy runs things, dictator, whatever he is, that means he has a lot of pull. That means that whoever's underneath him gets perks, gets benefits, their family gets taken care of, and they just have to co-sign on with him and do what he tells them to do. I mean, and I, I don't mean this to be insensitive, how did they think that this was not going to happen? You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't just get to make those decisions on your own. It's like joining the mob or something. You don't just get to make those decisions on your own. You don't just walk out when you felt you had enough. You get to walk out when they felt you had enough. And and, that, and I, I feel bad for him, but did he not think that? Did he he not understand what he was signing up for? Did that not cross his mind?
0: No, that's all true, and that's this is where we are now, uh, and it's an unfortunate situation to watch unfold. But it's going to have to be one that we continue to watch unfold, especially as the sport itself and the community around the sport doesn't take not only COVID nineteen seriously, but doesn't take this situation with Kadirov
1: seriously as well well we well. Um, i think we've always discussed this mma guys care about it when it impacts them when it doesn't they don't care oh, i care about fighter rights you get your new deal i don't care about fighter rights the fighters aren't being represented they're not getting the opportunities they want oh i got my title shot to hell with the rest of y'all it's, it's a pattern we see all the time it's why they can never get ahead all the people investing money care about the success and failures of the people investing money all the people who are fighting only care about their own success As long as they're winning, they don't care about anybody else. That's why the fighters can't get any traction. And in situations like this, you really don't even have any traction to begin with. So it's never really going to change because guys like their money and they like their perks. And until that changes, they're just going to get people are going to end up in situations like this.
0: You're 100% right. Um, Let's also talk about our boy Canelo Alvarez because he absolutely steamrolled his mandatory title defense on Saturday. And did you see anything new from him?
1: Not really. I mean, he didn't really have to. It would have had to go a couple rounds. I mean, Canelo, from two or three years ago, would have probably stopped this guy in probably about five rounds. The The, the hope was that that uh, Joel, Joel, Joel Diaz was training him, that he'd be able to get squeeze a little bit more out of him, have him in a condition where he could compete and push past a certain point to maybe test Canelo. That ended up not being the case. Canelo didn't have to show anything new. The guy wasn't physical enough or durable enough or fighting at a high enough pace to... Uh, to force him to have to show another aspect of his skill set. And to be honest, most guys aren't good enough to force Canelo to have to show something new unless he just wants to. Canelo can just go through the motions against most guys and beat him, but a guy against his caliber, he didn't even really have to go through the motions. It was just it was just a mismatch to keep Canelo sharp, keep him paid, and to keep him active so that when he faces a better, op- better opponent, his timing's there, his conditioning's there, his punch count is there, and his accuracy is there. This is just Going through the motions to help him become a better fighter. It's not a, a fair fight, or it wasn't really a chance for that other guy to win a title.
0: Do you think that we're ever going to see him really challenge? Like, what needs to happen for him to get pushed to his limits?
1: Well, I mean, he's been challenging different ways against Kovalev. He was challenging against a bigger, stronger guy with a real good jab, who was good on the outside, and and it it caused him some distress. He lost some rounds because Kovalev was moving and boxing. And He was able to get a late stoppage on a fight that was pretty competitive. Um, you know, he's had he's had tough fights before. The thing about it is, he's he's got a natural feel for boxing, and his and his coaches are very technical and strategical in the way they have him fighting. They they really focus on key on every area, every aspect of boxing. And he's a boxing junkie. He's like Mayweather in that aspect. He's like light years ahead of guys because most guys get by on toughness. Most guys, some guys get by on volume. Some guys get by on power. Very few guys actually get by purely on their actual skill set, their awareness, their IQ, and their actual craft. Canelo is technically light years better than 90% of the people boxing in his division or out of it. He's really, like, in a class of his own. Um, I can't say he, he can't be challenged. Caleb Plant could challenge him. Caleb Plant's a good enough boxer with fast hands and fast feet, so he could give him problems. The uh, Charlo Charlo is uh, another another. He's a big puncher. He's athletic. He throws a lot of punches. Um, he's a good he's a good boxer. But it, his combination of athletic skills and his boxing would pose problems. Uh, who else? D- David Benavidez is a big, strong, rugged, athletic, powerful guy. He has and BJ Saunders, who he's going to fight next, is a mobile, kind of awkward, slick kind of boxer. Those are, these guys have the caliber and the skill and the accomplishments to give him. To, to test him, the thing about it is Canelo has so many layers. the same thing that used to cause people issues with Floyd. Well, I'll just get physical with him. Well, Floyd can be physical. Well, I'll just try, I'll try and throw volume on him. Well, Floyd's very defensively sound. He moves his feet. It's hard to throw volume at him. Well, I feel I can box with him. Floyd is a superb boxer. He can box with him. They're basically guys who can fight at every single range and every single level at every single spot. Now, there's some spots they are better than others. There's things you can do to make them feel uncomfortable, but unlike most people who just have to tough it out or just bite down and swing, guys like Canelo, guys like Floyd have legitimate technical answers to everything you're doing. So I would say guys who've got a little bit more athleticism and, and have the have some boxing skills but have some athleticism would cause them trouble, but I don't know that I bet any of those guys beat them. Caleb Plant could cause them trouble. Like I said, fast feet, fast hands. Very good boxer, good size. Charlo, explosive puncher, very aggressive, very durable, well-conditioned, and has some Boston kills. Um, Benavidez. But once again, I could see where they would give him problems at, but that's only to a certain degree. I feel like there's two or three levels he can go to that they can't match. So lots of guys can push him. I just don't know how many guys can actually beat him, especially given that he fights so often. He's, he's, even in a blowout fight, that helps you stay sharp. That's another camp you go through. So your mind's sharp. You're watching film. Your body's loose. Your body's sharp. Nobody, nobody's as active as Canelo. So even if guys could really push him, they're, they're fighting, what, every six months, every eight months? He's fighting essentially like every three? Three and a half? You know, it's three and a half for four. It, it's very hard to beat a guy who's constantly sparring, constantly training, and constantly fighting. And a guy who's already, before he even turned 30, has got over 40 fights. It just, it's just very hard to find the chink in his armor. And the only guy who's done it is Floyd Mayweather. And how many other guys like that are walking around in boxing or any other sport? If you're talking about the overall skill, IQ, physical gifts, and experience level as an amateur and as a pro.
0: Good stuff, sir, sir. Good stuff. What are some other things? What are you working on this week? What stands out before we close out tonight?
1: Um, one thing I wanted people to keep an eye on for MMA combat sports fans in general, before I go into what I'm working on, is Teofimo Lopez has fought is thinking is trying to get out of his contract with top rank. Basically top rank said, we don't have enough money to pay you for your mandatory defense. You want this much money, we're not paying it. If you want to, if you want to get that kind of money, you need to go somewhere else. Well, another another organization was willing to to pay him and they've they did they did an open bid for the fight. Top rank was going to offer like two million, one million, two million, other people were two million, three million. Somebody offered six million dollars for the fight. So now TLP is yeah, truly. So TOFM was gonna get a career high payday and he's gonna be on a very highly rated card, which should improve his Q rating and should contribute to making him more of a star. But now there's talk about Teofimo trying to get out of his contract because he feels that there were emails released that says that top rank was trying to hinder his ability to make money on the open market. Like they were trying to talk to other promoters and say don't pay him top dollar. Just pay him this much so that he's forced to deal with us. And if that's true, there's going to be a long legal battle. And more than likely, Teofimo Lopez will not be fighting for anywhere from a year to a year and a half, maybe two years. So this is very interesting because, once again, it's another case where a fighter is pushing back against a promoter. And he wants better paydays. He wants better opportunity. He feels they're not doing their job with them. They're not giving him what he deserves. And then you have a promoter looking at the business side saying, yeah, you've accomplished this. Yeah, you've accomplished that. Yeah, you're a star. But you don't make us enough money for us to pay you the money you want. You think you're a big star, but we can't sell a pay-per-view with you. You think you're a big star, but outside of fighting this guy, you can't get the ratings we need to make the money back. And so now it's that constant push and pull between what the fighter thinks are valued, what the promoter thinks are valued, and who's gonna be, who's gonna win, who's gonna win this legal battle. The difference with the promotional company is they can go three or four years and be in court. This doesn't affect their career. They can keep still doing business. As a fighter, three or four years on the sideline can really hurt your earning potential and hurt your pockets because you got to pay for these lawyers. So it's a very important situation, and it's a very interesting story to see. Some people are saying compared to Floyd and Canelo, but Floyd Floyd had already won multiple titles. He was kind of a star on his own. Canelo was already a huge star when he pulled this. Teofimo hasn't beaten as many guys as Floyd has. He's not as known. And he's not as known as, as Soul Canella, So I don't know that he has the leverage or the money to get out of the contract the way he wants to. And you hate to see a guy who's considered one of the potential young faces of the sport essentially be, be sidelined for a two to three year period. It happened to Mikey Garcia. He was out of boxing for like two or two years. And it can very well happen to Fima Lopez. And this is his prime right now. This is when he's as hot as he's going to be. And uh, after this fight, we might not be seeing him for a while, depending on how the legal uh, battle goes moving forward, and it's something you will be hearing about more, more, often.
0: Let me ask you about Triller. I don't think we got a chance to talk about that when that fight got announced. They bid six hundred, or should be six million dollars for that fight, as you just mentioned. And it's looking like Teofimo Lopez would be the co-main event, with some type of celebrity being the main event. How long do you think this model can last? Do you think that they can keep doing this? And are we looking for a? Are we looking to? somewhat of a change in how boxing fights are developed and promoted.
1: It can last for as long as you can find interesting high-profile matchups. You can't keep getting the older veterans because their bodies aren't going to hold up. That's only going to hold so much. You can only fool the public so many times. It can't be you know, a bad fight, a bad fight. They're not going to keep on bowling in because you know these guys are past their prime and declining. Also, you have to find big enough personalities to be involved in it, big enough stars, and then you have to find somebody from a combat sports setting or another star who's equally big enough to draw interest. And there's not as much, as much as it seems like there'd be an endless supply of guys like that. There's really not. I mean, just look at the Jake Paul, Ben Askren or, or Jake Paul. I don't know which one is fighting Askren, but that they didn't want Askren. That's the only guy they could get. They wanted a bigger name because they understand they have to draw on a certain amount of fans to make this viable. And also with these cards, you have to have a certain amount of quality fights around it to to justify to to kind of dress up the main event because we know that's not going to be high quality. As long as you can as long as you can draw guys into it, big guys who who have followings and can impact can have huge followings. They can bring into it, it'll be fine. But there's not that many guys who have that kind of following who you, who you can really bring into the sport. And the guys who do may not want to risk getting embarrassed. I mean, Nate Robinson had a huge fan base. The biggest fight they talked about after that Tyson and Roy Jones fight was Nate Robinson getting knocked out. But how many guys really want to risk that moving forward? How many guys really want to take that chance, combat sports who are stars or even celebrities? Because that follows you. There's a difference between getting dunked on and getting knocked out, getting sacked, throwing interception, or getting knocked out. So it just, it just depends on how – it really, really comes down to the bottom line is how much money can they offer to make it worth somebody's while. And, and I, I don't think it's sustainable, not long term, maybe for the next year or two, maybe here or there, but it's nothing they're going to do where they can regularly put out cards like this. This will be like, if they go to like one or two big events every year, maybe three, they could probably drag it out for another two or three years, but th- it can't be done with any regularity. It just so can't be. Let me be. ask
0: you this. If they do three <laughs> events a year, three big events a year, is that enough for boxing? Because right yeah. now we don't get that many from boxing.
1: It won't be enough for boxing. It won't be enough for them because at some point you have to have a high quality product. These cards are more interest than actual execution. And against boxing, it's just not enough money. I mean, the only reason the only reason Fimo is getting this money is because he's going to be on one of these cards, which is guaranteed to generate a certain amount of interest. That's going to help him. It's not because of him. He's not getting paid because of himself. And he was a guy who was making fun of YouTube fights and, and these fights. He was making fun of that. That's the only reason he's getting paid. There's no boxing card in and of itself where he would get paid this kind of money to be a co-man event. There's no boxing card in and of itself that he would get paid by himself as a main event to get this much. He doesn't draw enough interest. Now, if you have him as a co-man event to Evander Vander Holyfield come back or Mike Tyson, yeah, that works. But by himself, he doesn't sell. People, people don't care enough about him to see him fight by himself. If, if that was the case, then, then they would have put Lomachenko versus um, Lopez on pay-per-view. But they know he doesn't sell. So it, it's not very sustainable. It's like a, a short-term get-rich. It's like a job you take that pays a lot, but you know your body can't hold up, or mentally it'll just drive you insane. So you take the job, you hang out for as long as you can. Maybe it's three months, maybe it's six months. But after that, you, get, you move on, and you go on to the job that you want to have, or the job that's more stable that you can actually have a career at. That, that's what this is. I, I don't think it's sustainable long-term. You can't have enough stars. Because stars, celebrities, whether it's faded athletic stars or Actual big name celebrities, YouTubers, they know their value. You're not going to get them for one million and and fifty thousand. They're not going to do that. They they're like, I have two point four million followers. I'm going to need at least two point four million dollars to step in and risk that kind of embarrassment. With fighters, MMA or boxers, you can you can pay them twenty thousand here, ten thousand here. They'll take that. That's a huge payday for most guys. Most guys don't make millions. But for people in the entertainment business or formerly big name stars, you're not getting them for cheap. They know their value. They know their, their name carries the weight. They know their name is getting other people paid. You're going to have to pay them top value. And there's not enough of those guys out there. There's not, To me, there's not enough money around to entice those guys in there to keep doing that past a certain point.
0: There you go. There you go. Well, Schwan, did you see our boy Bobby Lashley, former Bellator and Force fighter, win the WWE Championship last night? I hope you did. I,
1: I did. I was... He can add that to his resume. He, he really is. It, it's been interesting. This, everybody thought going into MMA would kind of ruin him. And it, it, he really didn't skip a beat. It's really just been onward and upward for him. He, in that, and competing as a pro actually like had the Brock Lesnar effect. It actually legitimizes you as a wrestler. Because, so, you know.
0: go ahead. Go ahead. No,
1: it, it, it just gives you that legitimacy because you've done both. And so it, it's really only helped his career. I, I don't know how many guys have actually pulled that off successfully. But it's been pretty amazing seeing him go from a guy who was a who was a name to a guy who's at the peak of of his his industry right now.
0: So let me ask you a question then: MMA, pro wrestling, who wins him or Brock Lesnar in in, in, in both spaces?
1: I'd I'd probably say uh, I think I think last man I don't know Brock is a really good performer in the cage too in the ring. To be honest, I mean he's not just athletic; he's really good a performer. Like he. I, I'd say, say Lesnar, prime Lesnar, even maybe now he'd probably beat Lesnar. Even then I, I'd probably say Lesnar. Now I'd say Lesnar wins in both. Les, Lesnar's Lesnar's from people I've known who've done wrestling and, and competed or worked in the wrestling industry, they, said, they tend to tell me that for a guy who didn't grow up as a pro wrestler, Brock Lesnar is a very good performer. They, they say he's, if he just did it full-time, he, he probably could have been elite. At one point he was, even, even with his limited experience. I don't, I don't know that Lashley's ever been as good as Brock Lesnar in the cage. No, not, nowhere near in the cage. Lesnar's be better guys. And I, and I don't think he's ever been as good as him in the ring, to be honest. I'd say Lesnar on both ends.
0: Very good stuff there, sir. So let's go ahead and um, close this show out. And, yeah, I'm done for the day. You're done for tonight. We'll be back next week. And go from there.
1: All right, guys. Thank you for uh, the, the support. Keep on liking, sharing, and subscribing. And we'll keep on producing top-notch, top-notch content for you.
0: Have a great night, everyone.